Welcome to Fred Buzz the Podcast. My name is Joe McMurray. And my name is Aaron Sefchik. And today we have Mark Benito, a guitar builder from St. Thomas, Ontario, who's been building guitars for 43 years. Um, he's with us and we're really excited to have him and to talk about everything uh, acoustic guitars. Welcome, Mark. Yeah, thanks a lot, Joe. Yeah. Glad to be here. So we actually got in contact with you through Dustin Furlow, who was on um, several episodes back in the, what, episode 20-something, I believe? Yeah, 20. Yeah, so Dustin has a Beneteau guitar, which I was uh, fortunate enough to get to play last week, and it was a super jumbo body, right, and right. it, uh, I think, walnut. Yeah, yeah. Really, really really beautiful guitar and it sounded absolutely amazing <laughs> i i can't say i've ever played anything that sounded that great wow um yeah so i've been looking forward to this for a long time but as soon as i played that guitar i was head over heels ready to talk to you right so um so yeah so we have been talking about all kinds of things but i have a bunch of questions for you um about the effects of different woods and body shapes and bracings and lacquer finishes and all kinds of things um, I'd like to get into, but um, I guess we probably ought to get start with a little bit of your story and how you got here. And I know you've given this in some other interviews, but it we got to start at the beginning. Okay. Um, well, I uh, was born in Windsor, Ontario. And uh, grew up kind of listening to a lot of rock and roll. That's what that's what mm -hmm. I think. And uh, in 1974, I was reading an article in I think it was called Guitar Magazine or something, some kind of guitar magazine. And it was an article on John McLaughlin, and he had this hand built guitar that he had he had had made. And uh, up until that time, I had never considered the idea that that you could make a guitar. Like I thought they all came from Fractive somewhere. And here was a guitar that was made by this young guy. And I, and it was like this electric guitar, and it was, it was pretty cool. But that sort of flipped the switch for me. And at that point, it was like one of those moments that I thought, I'd like to do that. I want to try and do that, you know? So I looked around, uh, I, I checked around Ontario to see uh, if I could find a place where I could learn to build guitars. And it turned out that there was a guy in Ottawa, the capital of Canada, um, who was giving courses. And I went up there, and it's so weird because I went to the first course, it was a class, and it was, I had been reading my ass off, like I'd been reading everything I could on guitar building. And uh, this class was, you know, it was kind of like for hobbies. And I was, you know, I had my nose up in the air, and thought, that, that won't work, you know. They pulled out a piece of butternut, they said, well, we'll make our guitar out of that. And at that point, I thought, well, you can't build a guitar out of butternut, you know. It's like, that's that's just not good enough. So I didn't go to the class. I should have. I would have learned a lot. But uh, I didn't go to the class, and that's how it, it actually started. I came back, and I, I started um, hacking away. I found a place to build my guitars. And it was a spare bedroom in my house, and that was, that was it. And I started from there. And uh, I was able to sell my first... Um, well, I sold my second guitar to a buddy and then sold my third guitar to another buddy. That's how it starts, right? You, you mm -hmm. play your first instruments. But I didn't, I never, I didn't train with anybody. So it was really a, a matter of 
trial and error. And that's basically what it's been ever since. Well, it seems like that that has worked. It has. It has. And it's it's I think it's a good way to learn. I mean, if you if you make mistakes, you it forces you to understand why you made the mistake, not just because somebody told you to do it a certain way. And that that works for me. You know, I've made lots of mistakes. So, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, the pain of go ahead. Well, I was going to ask in terms since you had said since uh, you didn't take that class with that individual, um, have how much do you actually talk to other luthiers in terms of their techniques and how much do you actually incorporate that or if at all? Like, Uh, you know, that's I I don't know if I'm embarrassed about this or not, but I rarely talk to other builders. Mm. How they, like I don't if I'm if I'm trying to work out a new technique I generally work it out on my own I have picked up a few things from other builders there's a couple things that I can specifically think of that I that I saw in a video that man that's really good that's a really good way of doing it and yeah. you know, I use that but for the most part I kind of like I just work stuff out on my own and I like that I, I you know I know quite a few builders and I, you know, get to interact with, with them at guitar shows and stuff. But generally speaking, I, I kind of work it out, you know? Yeah. Well, that makes you, my, I was just going to say because of that, my techniques and my methods of doing things may be different from the average, especially because nowadays with the internet, you're going to get a lot of people who use exactly the same technique because they all interact. They, you know, they go online, this is the way you do it. And yeah. So, you know, you see, and that's not necessarily bad, you know, but it's just not, not my comfort zone, I guess. Oh, that makes you truly unique. That's for sure. Well, in some ways, I'm sure. Yeah. Now, weren't you influenced by um, Larve guitars? Absolutely. Uh, this goes back to before I started building, but I was, I had the bug, it hit me and I wanted to learn. My brother who lived in Toronto brought me to Toronto or I, I met him in Toronto and he brought me to a, a really cool 70s guitar shop called the Ottawa, the Toronto Folklore Center, and they carried cool guitars. They had Alaskan, they had Alaskan who had just left John Larabee, and they had Larabee's guitar. And I had never seen anything like them because coming of coming from Windsor, where every all the influence is American, all I knew for acoustic guitars was Martins and Gibsons, and you know the usual suspects, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so that's what I thought of when I thought of an acoustic guitar. And then when I saw this Larabe and Alaskan, but mostly the Larabe in the Ottawa, I keep saying Ottawa because Ottawa had a folklore center as well. But in the Toronto Folklore Center, um, I was amazed because it looked very classical. It had wooden bindings. It had a rosette for the sound hole. It had all this stuff that I was unused to, but looked so beautifully organic and really, really cool. And they actually had it in a display case under glass, you know? So, so it was like, this is special, you know? And so at the time I was just really influenced and my first guitars look a lot, look a lot like Larabee guitars. You know, I had, I, I designed a rosette and learned how to make the rosette and stuff like that. So they actually look quite a bit like Larabees. I even wished them like Larabees at that time, you know, that didn't last very long. But. <laughs> so that's a perfect time to transition, I think into the ideas of bracing. Yeah. Um, or the, the concept of bracing. And it yeah. seems like typically acoustic guitars have an X brace. Right. Um, the, and that X meets a few inches behind the bridge. Is that correct? Yeah, it, it meets uh, sort of between the, the, the bridge and the sound hole. 
closer. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so what you want to do is, and I don't want to get very technical here, but what happens basically is that X um, crosses, and then in the lower bout, the two uh, arms of the X brace, the two braces, sort of go under the, the, the wings of the bridge, you know, and that, that helps transmit the, 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 the uh, what do you call those things, vibrations, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So why, I mean, it seems like there are lots of options for bracing. Totally. And X bracing is probably the most common, it seems yeah. like. Yeah. But what are benefits to using something like, I've heard of like this fan bracing that spreads out from the tailpiece and the ladder bracing like in classical guitars and yeah. Yeah. even well, Taylor's new V-class bracing. Yeah, yeah. That, that You mean that new Taylor bracing you're talking about? Is that mm -hmm. Okay. A friend of mine, an amateur builder, is playing around with that. Um, I've never used that one, and um, I, I, was, I would assume that Taylor has done their homework. I mean, they're a pretty competent company, and uh, so they must have an idea. I actually have never heard a Taylor guitar with that bracing yet, so I, I can't comment on that. The only bracing I use, because I, I'm strictly a steel string builder now, I've built some classicals in the past, and a couple arch tops, but generally I'm a steel string flat top builder. And so I've stuck with the, the X brace. Um, I vary it, um, you know, both in the size of the bracing and the positioning and stuff to some extent, depending on the, the model and the, 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 uh, the guitar, what it's made of, you know, the, and the, what the customer wants, because that's a big part of it. You know, if a customer is looking for a certain kind of sound or a certain feel, then, uh, you know, I, work with that to try and get them close to form yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. so you so have you played a guitar with this this fan bracing no well no I, I I'm not even aware are you talking about like a classical fan I think that's what I'm I'm okay. no expert in this that's why I wanted to ask you <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm not aware of I'm sure there are some, because there's experimentation, and especially with, I would say, possibly younger builders who are just trying everything, mm -hmm. um, I don't see why some of them wouldn't try a classical-based fan brace, which is, you know, where you've got the fans kind of uh, splaying out uh, in the lower bout, okay? And... Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I've never tried that, and I'm not even aware of any steel string guitars that have that kind of bracing. So, you know, I I don't know. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> Fair enough. So, moving on to body shapes. Okay. I I'm I'm more of a rock guy turned jazz. Okay. Turned recently, I've had this obsession with acoustic playing, and you know, I've <laughs> Don Ross is a I love Don's playing. I love Andy McKee and Tommy Emanuel and all those guys. Yeah. yeah. I love Dustin Furlow's yeah. playing yeah. and Matt Thomas's playing. Yeah. Um, so I've been really into this. And like before I had I had a Martin OM okay. style guitar that um you know I, I like the body shape, but I, I think that one was just something wasn't right about that guitar. And um I've recently traded for a Taylor um C or four fourteen C E, which is suits me well but i there are so many different body shapes and right. i'm thinking about our our listenership the the general population of guitarists and musicians 
it would be nice to to discuss why you have different body shapes, what the benefits are of different body shapes. Sure. I mean, some of it's obvious, but mm -hmm. um, what what's your take on all of this? Okay. Well, you came to the right place because I actually offer everything from a O size parlor size all the way up to an SJ. And that includes quite a few different models. Mm. Um, the, the smaller models are really good for fingerstyle playing and they tend to have a very focused voice. Like it's, it's like, <laughs> I don't know how to describe it, but it's the voice, the voice is very solid in the middle. You don't have a, you don't have low lows, but you've got that every note seems to have a really nice body to it. And then as you get bigger, you spread that out and um, the OM, uh, which is like, I've got the O, the double O, and the, and the OM. And the OM is kind of like a, a great fingerstyle guitar. You know, it's kind of like you can do all kinds of things with it. Hmm. Um, then you go up to uh, what I call my full-size guitars. So the OM is a 15-inch lower bout. The, you go up from that and you get into a 16-inch guitars, which I count, I call my standard models because what they do, I've got three in that, in that, basic width and uh, I call them my do everything guitars like they're they're great for you know use them for finger style uh, you can use them for uh, for strumming you know because they've got enough enough depth to them for all kinds of play and then you get up to the SJ which is the biggest guitar I build and uh, it's just got a big booming voice and uh, you know and it's it's well suited for certain players. Now there's no rules in this because, uh, you know, there's no reason why you couldn't use a parlor guitar for, you know, strumming, you know, it'll still, it'll still work great, but it, you know, there's generalities that you can play around with and, um, yeah, but again, there's no rules. So if I find out what's and also, it's also ergonomic because if, if some people just don't feel comfortable with a larger body size, uh, so you go to a smaller body size and you can vary the, body size or you can vary the say the depth of the body to help to you know tweak the sound as well okay so i have a an old 12 fret martin dreadnought oh yeah um, nice and it's got yeah it's from 1971 or 72 oh, one i had it was a martin d18s is what okay okay well, this one, so it's not the same guitar, but yeah, it's similar. <laughs> this is a 32. Um, but yeah, so it's got a, it's got so much extra volume mm -hmm. between the sound hole and the, the body, the fretboard end of the body. Right. The, the right. voice is, yeah. it's got an enormous voice because of yeah. that. Yeah. Um, yeah, you got mine well. I, that was my first good guitar. And uh, I didn't realize it was an oddball until I got it. I bought it at a, at a store in Detroit. And uh, I have always felt funny. As a matter of fact, that's the reason why I've actually built, I have I have a mold for that body size because I I, I really liked it. I built a few of those over there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's got a really different sound, which is cool. Yeah. I, yeah. I have a hard time not having access to the frets above the 12th fret. That's... Yeah, right, right. Difficult yeah. for me. Well, back back in nineteen seventy, that wasn't an issue, was it? Right. Yeah. You didn't. You know, they, these things were made for strumming mainly. You know, or for fingerstyle playing, but not. You know, not going up the neck first. Right. 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 So, why would you? I mean, why did they put the slotted headstock on there? I think it's tradition. 
I, there's no, like, there's no technical reason to put a slotted headstock on, as far as I'm concerned. I've done lots of guitars with both, and for me, I put a slotted headstock on a guitar that, if unless the customer wants it for some other reason, I will put a slotted headstock on a model that looks traditional. So I put it on my 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 O, my double O, my triple O. Especially, I do a triple O twelve fret. So the twelve fretters look vintage and so what i do with those is i put a slotted head if the customer if it's okay it's more of a pain to change the strings of course but you know and that may be a factor for some people but you know it just looks looks neat you know yeah i didn't know if it helps spread because if you have a wider um nut width i didn't know if it had some spreading the strings out without having to pull them towards the i don't know uh, no i don't i don't you know, maybe theoretically that's true, but I, I haven't really noticed anything like that. Yeah, so you're talking about the the wider neck width as well as the slotted headstock. Yes, mine has yeah, an inch yeah. and seven eighths, so it's really wide. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I forgot about that. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't necessarily when I'm doing that model, and I haven't. I've only done it two or three of them, but when I'm doing that model, I don't. It, you know, the neck width is up to the customer. I don't necessarily stick. And that brings me to another point. I don't have models with very specific um, uh, specs on them. I don't do I don't do my guitars that way. You know, I've, I've noticed a lot of builders have a model and they might even have a name for it, and it comes with these specs. You know, and this is what you get. Right. Whereas mine is more like ordering a car, and then you can add on whatever things you want to it. You know, so we start with a basic body shape, and then virtually everything after that is is uh, variable depending on what the customer works out or what they want or what I work out with the customer. That's awesome. Yeah, I'd, I'd imagine there's a lot of education you have to do with your customers. Yeah, in a lot in a lot of cases there aren't. Sometimes they want me to do something that I know is not a good idea. So I I have to put my foot down sometimes because <laughs> I mean, my name's on the guitar. So, you know, if the customer is asking for a specific design idea or aesthetic idea and I'm thinking, yeah, that's not gonna work out you know that's that's not gonna look I'm not gonna be I'm not gonna be okay with that then I will steer them elsewhere I'll, I'll offer op options or alternatives um, just to make sure that you know and, and if, it, if they're insisted on it then I, I have to send them somewhere else but that doesn't happen very often no. I will say I after watching your uh, studio tour, which I recommend everybody go watch. Cause yeah. I, oh, it, it was a great, uh, oh. I, I loved seeing all your machinery and all the things and all the tools that you work with. I mean, I'm just sat yeah. there with my jaw dropped going, Oh, yeah. that, that looks like a whole lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in seeing that I did see that you have, and I've never actually seen this before, but you incorporate like an armrest that actually kind of bevels the top of the guitar. Um, yes. that's, that's beautiful. That's absolutely, I, I Thank think you. that's just a wonderful piece of almost like artwork that you incorporate into the uh, body of the guitar. It's just beautiful. Well, it's, it's interesting you say that because these design details are both aesthetic and, um, functional. Okay. Right. And uh, the the armrest is something that's actually fairly wide, widespread now, but when I started, obviously, it didn't exist at all. Mm. Um, the first one I saw was my friend Grit Laskin, who he developed this armrest. It, it, we call it the Laskin 
armrest. It's a scallop armrest, which I'll show you. This is my own guitar. And can you can you see the, the armrest there on the side right here? Yeah. Okay, that's Alaskan armrest right there. And uh, I started building that one about 15. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I should look at the screen. I started building that one about 15 years ago. And... Uh, and uh, more recently, there's another one, uh, another style. It's called the, the uh, Ryan, after Kevin Ryan, who developed an armrest that's actually a long, sweeping scallop that runs from the waist all the way around to the to the tail. Oh, wow. And, and that's really cool. And I do that one a lot more now. That's the most popular one. But it's become almost universal. It's almost rare now that I build a guitar without the armrest because it's a no-brainer. Every guitar player regardless uh, whether he's, he's actually seen one before, immediately gets what it's about. It's just much more comfortable. And the bigger the guitar, the more comfortable that armrest is because you've got, you know, you're reaching around the body, right? Yeah. On the very small guitars, it's not necessary. And it's, I, don't, I don't do it as much on, say, the, the parlor guitars or anything. But, you know, so it be, becomes both a function and, uh, and a, a really cool aesthetic thing. And the aesthetics is very important to me. I want to make sure that everything works together on an instrument. You know, right. this, like, I, I recorded something last weekend on my acoustic guitar and I, I was probably sitting in front of this microphone for four or five hours. And I, I got up and I had an actual, um, like a red arc across my chest from where the right. guitar was digging in. And I was <laughs> wishing I had that, uh, that, that bevel it would have been so much more comfortable oh yeah 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 that's that's true yeah it's uh it's it's really been a, that's one of the, the the best uh design changes that's happened in acoustic guitars in, in the last couple decades for sure do you think that those bevels um do they are they difficult to put in and do you think there's a loss of structural integrity because of them uh they are complicated it's not, it's not a simple matter, at least the way I do it. And again, we'll go back to this idea that I worked all this stuff out myself. Maybe it's a really easy way to do it, but, <laughs> you know. Um, but um, it definitely doesn't affect the structural integrity because that bevel is, uh, if you look inside a guitar, look inside your acoustic guitar and there's this lining around the inside between the side and the back and the side and the top, and it's called kerf lining and it's uh, like a curved piece of wood that goes around. Well, that where you have the bevel, there's none of that. What I put in is I, I put in a solid piece of like a bigger solid piece around there to back up that bevel, that scallop. And uh, it's carved away. So most of it is carved away, but still it's, it's more substantial than the normal kerf lining. And so it, it's, uh, it's quite strong. Now, uh, yeah, there's no loss of strength there at all. But what uh, what I do get asked is, does it cut down on the sound because it's a bigger piece and it's encroaching on the top? And uh, I haven't detected any loss of sound uh, between a guitar that has that and, and the other. It's around the edge, so you know it doesn't seem to impede the vibration of the top as long as you don't overdo the the backing. If you don't make it too heavy, uh, it um, it seems to it seems fine. Like I, I really, it, it, it's, I can't honestly say that I've noticed a difference in the, in the response between one with a bevel and one without. Okay. My next question follows closely 
how okay. much i mean i i don't want to get into how much each guitar costs but yeah. if i was to have a guitar you know the option between like the exact guitar behind you mm-hmm. or the exact guitar without the bevel how much does that bevel cost me if what's I the upcharge yeah for, for me the upcharge on the bevel is 500 dollars. okay so okay. it, it is a significant increase but it is it's a significant increase awesome. it's a significant amount of work i mean yeah. it's, you know it, it it's uh it's quite labor intensive uh, mm-hmm. so um and you know i mean i find that again it doesn't seem to be a deterrent and i have no problem with building a guitar without it uh, i don't have no problem with building uh you know a, a plain guitar without any options because mm-hmm. I just love guitars and, and, you know, they're all nice, you know, in their own way. So, you know, they're all aesthetically beautiful and, and, and nice instruments, but, um, uh, so, yeah, so it's $500 for, for the bevel, for the back bevel, I do what's called a rib rest as well. And it's more work than the top one. So it's $750. And actually, to be honest, I don't get many calls for that one. Right. I, I, uh-huh. more. I get tons of calls for the top one, but not that much for the back one. So the rib rest is what I needed last weekend. <laughs> you did. It's going to cost yeah. more. It's going to cost more. By the way, I don't do a guitar with just a rib rest and no top, so you're stuck with the uh, both. Twelve hundred and fifty bucks extra. Okay. Okay. Well, I imagine though, when, once you play it, um, it's oh, all that, yeah, that that money just fades away. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and truly, when you see it, I mean, like I said, when I saw your video, it, it's it is. It is a piece of work. It is. It's artwork. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Thank you. What about the um, the hole in the top bout so that you can yeah. hear the guitar better? Yeah. Um, tell side. us about those. What goes into it? What you know? All the same details. I want to know how much that costs and how much it affects the structural integrity and sure. everything else. Okay. It's uh. It, it, right away, I'll tell you the cost is two hundred and fifty bucks. Okay. okay, we're getting down here. Eh? It's not that bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, but okay, so here's the thing: the sa- the sound port acts like a monitor speaker, and it, I, you've probably all experienced an acoustic guitar where if you're standing or if you're sitting in front of the guitar, you hear the guitar a lot more. You hear the 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 fi- fidelity of the guitar a lot better than if you were playing the guitar because the sound's coming out the front out the sound hole. Yeah. The sound port helps you hear that. It just comes right up to your ear. So you get a better a better feel. You, you, you get more of a, um, a sense of the guitar's true tone with the sound port. It's just nice. And I offer a, 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 what I call a, what I call that? It's like a plug. It's a <laughs> port cover. It, it, you know, it just kind of slides into the port. I don't get, most people don't use that, but um, now back to your structural integrity thing. I, I could caution any builders out there who have, have not done a port, don't just cut a hole in the side of your guitar. And <laughs> no matter how nice it is, you're asking for trouble because that back, it has to be reinforced. So what I do is prior to cutting the port itself, I, I fit a, uh, a very thin patch of veneer. Well, it's, it's actually solid wood, but it's almost veneer thickness. And uh, it's, um, it's with the grain going the opposite direction of the sides. So what it does is even like a very, very small one, uh, I'm going to say a 32nd of an inch uh, thick is 
plenty to totally reinforce that side. And then when you cut the the port out, um, the porthole out, you you know you don't have to worry about it breaking because uh, it's been reinforced. How do you cut the hole with like a hole saw? Uh, no, I use a router. I have a template and a router uh, for those who understand that kind of thing. I I I made a I made a fixture. Just like my shop is full of fixtures, and I made a fixture that the side. This is before the sides are attached to the top and back. I forgot to do that one time, and I had to put it in after the fact. So I had to design a whole new method of doing it after the fact, after the sides and top, the or the back and top. But the uh, uh, what I do is I have a fixture that clamps the side uh, into this fixture, and it has a hole in it. And uh, you can get a guide for a template for a router that will follow that hole. And so, you know, not to get too technical, but the actual cutting is incredibly quick. It takes me about 40 seconds or so to cut the hole. But the setup is the whole thing. And then the interior reinforcement, that has to be fitted just right and everything. So, and pre-bent. So it's like there's, it's all prep and a tiny bit of cutting. Have you played with the size of that hole in terms of the diameter and how that affects the sound that comes out? Not really. I, I, I started out with it, the shape being different, mm -hmm. but I stayed with uh, a more or less a uh, consistent size. Um, and I find that it works fine. Um, I, I don't, I don't think changing the sound i mean you, you can only change it so much because again i'm back to aesthetics i, I don't want it to look really out of place okay right. so i try to keep it so that it, it looks aesthetically right mm -hmm. and um and it, it functions fine for what i want it, it does exactly what i want and uh, i can't i can't uh with from experience i can't think that if i changed it a bit <laughs> you know if i didn't change it radically i don't think that could make much of a sound difference. I don't, I don't see where that would happen. So yeah, I haven't experimented too much with it. I think it's, you know, it, it's working for me as it is. Yeah. Do you think there's sound loss uh, from the front side if some of the sounds leaving through the side? Number one question. <laughs> and no, I, I have not. Because you can actually plug the hole to hear it. And right. it just, you think, the sound must be leaking out of that little hole and taking it away from the big hole, but it, it, it doesn't, it, it uh, doesn't work that way. Huh. I guess the top's still vibrating, how, yeah. how it's going to vibrate. And... Yep, absolutely. Huh. I, I really, really like the, the, the port. I think that was part of why I walked away from playing Dustin's Benito guitar, feeling like I did. I was so down on my tailor after that. Well, right. take your tailor and just get your hacksaw out. Yeah, I need to just cut a little port. On yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. Um, but I think that might have been one of the bigger things that, uh, factors that I need to take into account that it just, it sounds so much better when you're the actual player and you have that port. Oh, yeah. It's Absolutely. louder and it's clear and it, it's yeah. really an amazing feature. Yeah, it's kind of like when you put your ear close to the, the body and you can hear, hear better. Well, that's... That, that's sort of what's happening there too. You, it's just coming up to you in a way that it normally doesn't. Yes, I, I'm a big fan of that. Yeah. Um, can we talk about fan frets? Sure. So when did fan frets come about? How recent of an innovation is that? I don't know. The first uh, time I ever saw it was 
Andy McKee playing Drifton on YouTube. Okay. And I'm not like super, I hadn't been involved in that scene, so it probably right. existed right. before then, but. Yeah, I, I don't know when it first came up. I remember when I first became aware of it was probably 15 years ago. And uh, um, I, I didn't know much about it. Mm. It's a little weird to me, you know, um, but here's how it happened with, here's how it started for me is that, and this has happened before. It's like, I've been building guitars for Don Ross since 1997. And what happens is some of the innovations, some of the things that I've, I've done, including the, the bevel and the port came about because somebody asked for it. And, and generally, <laughs> here's how it generally works. Somebody asks for, for something that I haven't done before, and I go, oh, God. <laughs> uh, you, know, it, yeah, you know, I don't know. You know kind of thing. And then I go through a period of thinking about it, mulling about it, and then I go, oh, you know what? I think that might be kind of – I think I'm going to give that a try. So, you know, that's how they, they, they kind of happen. And this happened with the fan friend. Um, I was at a concert uh, with Don. And uh, he said, uh, you know, have you ever done a fan fret? I said, oh, God. Uh, <laughs> 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 and, uh, um, and so I, I you know, I know I haven't done a fan fret. Uh, and uh, so, you know, eventually it came out that I tried a fan fret. And that was a bit tricky because there's a lot of things about building a fan fret that you don't have to deal with in building a, a regular scale guitar. Yeah. And so it's taken, like I've built a lot of them since then. That was probably 10 years ago anyway. And I've built quite a few of them, but, uh, and I'm, I'm always working on ways to improve. Like this has been my building thing anyway, since the beginning is that, you know, even if I've done stuff in the past, I'm constantly working on how to do it better and more efficiently. Uh, you know, building tooling that helps me get there faster. And the fan fret, I had to do a bunch of tooling to help me um, be really accurate because the fan fret is really tricky in terms of bridge position uh, because, and I, again, I won't get too technical here, but with a regular scale guitar, um, you what you do is the scales are, are 90 degree to the string. So... You can, you can, um, I was going to say this, you can, if you narrow the strings, it doesn't make any difference to the scale length. But with a fan fret, because the, the bass string is longer, the more you go to the center, the scale actually gets shorter. And with the, the treble, it's the opposite. When you move a string over closer to the center of the fingerboard, the string gets, uh, what is it? Oh, yeah, it gets shorter. And, uh, I don't know. It's, yeah, it gets longer. Okay. So if right. you're trying to figure out where to put your bridge, you have to know exactly where that string's going to be in order to get the scale position that you want. So it's, it's tricky. You don't measure it from the outside of the fingerboard. You have to measure it from exactly where the strings are going to sit on the board and the wider the neck that changes everything. So it's, it, it's, you know, there's some tricky parts about doing a fan fret. Anyway, it's, that's how I, that's how I learned. So, I, you know, that's in place now and they, 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 they work well, but you know, it's, it's there's a number of things that you have to kind of take into consideration when you're doing it. Wow. Including the bracing. The bracing is different on a fan fret because, well, I won't get into that, but it's definitely different. You know? I assume the tensions are different. 
the tensions are different, yeah, for sure, because the the, the longer the scale, uh, you know, going down to the bass strings. But that's good for response because you know a, a longer string will respond better to a to a to a lower note. Uh, in a normal scale, it's a big compromise, you know, because it, you know, like look at a piano. If you look at a piano, the bass strings are really long, the treble strings are really short, and that's optimum for how they respond. So with a regular scale guitar, even though it doesn't matter much because, the, you know, I mean, I mean, I play a regular scale guitar. I could have built myself a fan fret, um, but, and, and they're, they're fine. They've been fine for forever. But a fan fret probably is just a little better for that, especially for drop tuning and for alternate tunings and things like that. Hmm. Never actually you, thought about it that way, but yes. I, they're, they're, they're actually, clear. yeah, I was going to say they're actually, uh, it's surprisingly natural to play as well. Even though you look at it and you go, that's got to be weird. Yeah. You know, it's going to take a while to adjust to this thing. It's like, that's what, as long as your fan isn't hugely wide. Hmm. Like, I don't believe in these fans that are the treble strings really really short and the bass strings really long that's i've never gone there i i, I keep it pretty reasonable and and so it, it's very playable you know works really well i really want to play one of those yeah, so yeah, you should. <laughs> yeah there's, not, there's not a ton of them out there but they're they're out there and i, I know i've built quite a few of them it's not like you can go to guitar center and they have a fan fret there for you to not usually test no. out no, that's right. And there are electric ones out there too, though I don't know much about who's building those, you know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you with the edges of the frets, um, do you have to do anything to keep that from I mean, I guess you just polish I'm looking at my guitar over here. Um, you know, sometimes as the seasons change in some mm -hmm. cheaper guitars you you know, the wood fret sticks out. Yeah, the wood, I guess, uh, expands or contracts yep. based on the weather and the humidity right. differently than the metal frets do. And so sometimes you end up with that kind of sharp edge. Yep. Yeah, that's, that, that's, uh, that's, that, that points to the fact that the metal doesn't move and the wood does. And all wood does move to some extent. Um, it, you know, for repairmen, it's... it's pretty pretty good clue if you know he feels a guitar that has the fret ends all sticking out it means the guitar got too dry or the, the fingerboard wasn't seasoned properly in the first place mm. um, if it's the guitars properly built with well seasoned wood that shouldn't happen unless it's put into an environment where it shouldn't be you know generally too dry right and it's not going to happen if it's too humid but too dry that fingerboard will shrink and you'll feel those fret ends that's a, a clue, you know, um, but it shouldn't happen on a on a seasonal basis for sure, unless there's something wrong with the guitar. I would think. Okay. Yeah. So what I do in a case like that is you have to file those ends and reshape the the tips, and uh, you know that's not that's not a big deal, but there's you know you have to find out why it happened in the first place. My um, my Gibson ES three thirty five has a. Um... Oh, it has, I love that guitar. It's my yeah. my main gigging guitar, but okay. cool. it has these little, um, there's a binding on the edge of the fretboard That's right. that actually comes up and creates a perfectly smooth edge. Right. That, right. So that you're actually not, you never touch the metal. Yeah, that's right, right. That's a different technique. There's two, two ways to do it. The Gibson way of doing that 
was to put the frets in, and um, I don't know what technique they used to do it, but the it was the, it was cut off right where the binding starts, and then the binding was put on, and um, uh, and so you're right, like the the binding goes up, but you the fret doesn't reach the tip of the the edge of the fingerboard, whereas um, the way I do it, and I think probably most acoustic guitars, that seems more of a factory thing, but most acoustic guitars that I'm aware of, and probably a lot of electrics, the the, the bindings are put on the, the, the fingerboard, and then the fret is put in with a, uh, the ends are notched a little bit so that the, 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 the head, or the, the, the fret crown, extends over the side and then that's all trimmed back but the fret then ends up you going right to the edge of the board and yeah uh, it works fine you know as long as things are okay i didn't know if you know i especially when i'm playing a lot of rock i you know i dig in pretty hard and i tend to wear my frets yeah down like i've had to have my my stratocaster's been refretted my other 335 style guitar my old one's been refretted I didn't know if this, because I've only had this this one for since last September, so I didn't know if that was going to be an issue when I went to, if five years from now I need to get it refretted, is that I, difficult? That's, that's an interesting question. Um, I've never, I mean, I've done some repairs, not, not many, but I've done some repairs over the years, and I don't think I've ever had to refret like your Gibson and I don't know how your average repairman would deal with that because it'd be a little tricky to take those old frets out and make the new frets exactly so they'd slot right into um, be, you know inside the the, uh, the binding I'm not sure um, they might what you could do is you could take the old frets out and then convert it to the other way which would be easy to do and just have the fret ends extend to the outer edge and then clean them up that way that would be an easy way to deal with it but it might offend some purists i don't know <laughs> yeah maybe i just need to practice on my other guitars so i don't wear <laughs> yeah. out my nice one right, right right do you do you um do you make any or have i guess have you made any um more than six strings like a seven string or maybe a harp guitar or something like that yeah, yeah. I built a, a, a seven string for Craig D'Andrea, um, and that was an interesting that was an interesting project because I had to try and figure out the bracing, you know, for that extra string and the yeah. the, the the neck width and everything. Um, and and also the other thing is when you build. Oh, I built actually I built two seven strings. I built one for uh, Terry Tufts, this really good guitar player up here in Canada, um, and he originally. Uh, asked for the high string to be the seventh string, oh. which is different because I think generally the low string is the added string, right? Yeah, yes. Uh, whereas with his, it was tricky. And the problem was I wasn't building fan frets at the time. This was a good 15 to 20 years ago. Mm. If With a fan fret, it, see, the problem became that that high string was a G, and it was still at the normal, say, 25-4 scale length. So tuning a 25-4 scale length up to G, you're really tightening that guy. You, yeah. you know, you have to put a fairly fine string on there. Yeah. And that was always a problem for him. So um, I don't know how we dealt with it. I ended up having to change the neck on it. Hmm. Uh, but um, it never really worked out that way. If With a fan fret, it could have made the fan so that the high string was really short, you know, 
more more suitable to a G, and then the low strain would be you know whatever. But right, right. Um, that that didn't exist in those days for me, so that didn't work out. Now with Craig's, uh, it was actually a fan fret. It's a fan fret, and the lower string was a was a below the 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 E. So um, can't remember what it was. Maybe a B or C or something. Um, but uh, that worked out a lot better because you know uh, it was a fan fret, so I could make that lower string lo longer, and it, it worked out. Right. Right. Yeah. And harp guitar. Yeah, I built a harp guitar. Remember what I was saying about. Uh, when somebody asks me to do something different, and I go, oh, God. <laughs> there you go. That was Don again. And Is that the one that he just brought into you to get repaired last broke, week? Yeah, yeah, the head broke up. It's looking good, uh, by the way. <laughs> I've got it to, in the spray booth. It's all repaired, and it's being resprayed. So wonderful. that's worked out. But, um, yeah, that was a perfect example of, you know, say, yeah, have you ever built a harp guitar? And I'm like, that's a big job. So, um so I, you know, thought about it, molded over, did my usual thing, and and uh, decided to uh, to have a go. Of course, you know, for Don, I mean, he's been really good for my career. So I, you know, I'm, I'm happy to to go at it, go have a go at it for him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, it was a, a, a huge learning experience because I had never built one before. So I had to a lot of R and D. Took me two years from the time. Uh, he asked me to the time it was finished, and uh, it's worked out really well. And it's a bit of an oddball because it is a fan fret, so those counter bass strings, counter bass strings are really long. It's like, you know, really. And uh, but he loves it. Like he likes those. You know, he's he's uh, the first guitar I built for him. It was another one. It was a baritone. Like I had never built a baritone. And in 1997, he approached me to build a baritone. So. Uh, it, you know, right from the beginning, his he likes those deep-sounding guitars, and he always plays an SJ model. Um, and uh, so, with the with a fan fret harp guitar, I mean, it was it was it was interesting. It was a very big body, very deep sound, very full, uh, and it worked out great. You know, of course, there's you know when you build something for the first time, you 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 have all kinds of ideas of how you approach the second one. Right. Right. Which, which I haven't done yet. <laughs> Nobody's asked me to build another one, but uh, if it happens, it'll happen. What about like a microtonal type thing? I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we're on the. Uh, it wouldn't be a regular fretboard where every uh, fret is oh, li lined up, and you actually have microtones in between. Oh, I think I'm in one of those. Oh my God, moments. <laughs> <laughs> Probably yes. <laughs> yeah, no idea. Don't ask me to build one. Of those. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. So, I, I unfortunately I have not. Yeah, I'm I'm not re really knowledgeable about that at all. Yeah. Have you played one? Uh, I've seen them. I've never actually played one. They're a little bit different because they're they don't they're not based on half step increments. Right. Uh, they're more along the lines of like quarter steps. Wow. Yeah. That would be a uh, that would be a learning curve to learn to play one of those. Indeed. It? Yes. I didn't I didn't know with all the with all the you know people that come your way. I don't know if anybody had actually asked. <laughs> <something> <laughs> like <that>. asked me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have said anything. <laughs> I'll edit that out. <laughs> Don, I'm sure, is like, hmm. <laughs> and once again, that is where we're going to end it for today. If you haven't already, 
go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Don't forget, you can also go over to the Fret Buzz the Podcast YouTube channel, subscribe there, and check out our library of discussions and various topics. If you'd like to support Fret Buzz the Podcast, head on over to patreon.com and check out the levels of support and become part of the team of Fret Buzz the Podcast. Also, we are coming up on the end of the month, so I do want to remind everybody that we do have the Fret Buzz the Podcast live YouTube songwriting club. Um, that'll be on the 31st, so in about a week. Um, so by all means, head over to fretbuzzthepodcast.com and join. If you have a song that you would like us to listen to, go over to the website there and hit the submit button. We'd love to hear your stuff. And lastly, if you could do me a favor, if you're really enjoying the material that you're listening to, head on over to iTunes and give us a review. Let everybody know why you like the show. I think that takes care of everything. If you enjoyed, leave a comment down below. Let us know how we're doing. Other than that, we'll see you next Thursday for part two with Mark Benito of Benito Guitars on Fret Buzz, the podcast. See you next week.